Okay, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy 4. First Timothy 4. I want to get a few scriptures here. Uh, Matthew is going to read. First Timothy 4.2 is our main verse. First Timothy 4.2. Um, we'll read Matthew 10, 9 and 10. Alan, read 1 Timothy 4, 16. David Sanchez, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Uh, Anthony, Ezekiel 3, 1. <coughs> Adam, read John 14, 24. And uh, got some more. Corey, Second Timothy two four. Cliff, Proverbs twenty two, verse seven. And uh, Nate, Second Timothy four two. Uh, I think I got a typo here. Okay, go ahead and read First Timothy four. Uh, well. Let me let me hear the scripture first. I think I got a typo between second and first. Go ahead. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Lovely scripture, but it's the wrong one. <laughs> it's it's Second Timothy four two. That's a typo. Four two. Yeah, it is Second Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Okay, that's the scripture I wanted. Much better. By the way. Um, you know that during the uh, Revolutionary War, the uh, the colonists, in order to fight the the British, they didn't have uh, radios, and so they had men that they called the Minutemen. And uh, the Minutemen, the whole idea was wherever the fighting is going to break out, these were men that were uh, geared towards being ready at a minute's notice. And so this is where the idea of the Minutemen came from. In our scripture, Paul is writing to a a young pastor. And he is giving him pastoral instructions. Preach the word, of course, is one of them. But in order to be able to preach the word, the next statement is what we're going to focus on. He says, you have to have an attitude of readiness. Be ready is what it says there. Or in the King James, be instant. And that's what the word literally means, is is being ready. So we're going to talk about spiritual Minutemen, and we're talking about the attitude of readiness in, in ministry. So three elements of being ready. Number one is you have to be ready in spiritual preparation. So Paul, he begins his uh, instructions uh, to a young pastor... And he he does this with a military picture. We'd have read verse 1. In the King James, he says, I charge you. And any time you read that, it's a good study for yourself. I think probably Pastor Mitchell years and years ago did a, a Sunday school on this. All the different places where it says, I charge you. And so this is actually an order. I order you. This is a military picture. I order you. And this is a command from a superior officer. 
And so he is saying here, I command you to be ready. You want to be a man of God? Be ready. And I want you to notice here, he doesn't say, I command you to make sure the church is ready. He doesn't say, make sure your ministry, whatever ministry you function in is ready, or or your uh, program is ready. Well, you notice the focus is personal. He says, Timothy, you be ready. And that is an attitude that you have to have. And so, the reason why is that in ministry, we are the equipment. When we send our men out, we, we send them with uh, equipment. Every guy is going to get a PA system. Every guy is going to get a projector, blah, blah, blah. That's actually the least important thing. And I have I have known guys who've got hung up on this. I've known guys that have become embittered that you know when I got out I didn't get as good a projector as this guy got. I got, but but Jesus gives an understanding about the main equipment is you. You are the absolute most important component if you're ever going to be in the ministry. Matthew ten nine and ten. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey. Neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Okay, so this is also as a practical aspect of ministry about financial support. But it's interesting, when Jesus sends them out in the ministry, he tells them, you're not going to take a lot of equipment. Was actually what he's talking about. What equipment do you take when you go to minister? He says, equipment is not the issue. You are the equipment. And uh, so... The, the attitude of readiness is because what is going on inside a man of God is the most important factor of ministry. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who fear you. Okay, so he's talking about ministry. And uh, he is, is, in this actual application, he's saying you're going to face people who believe false doctrine. But he starts, how do you combat false doctrine? He says, take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. <laughs> because what's going on inside you is going to determine, are you going to be able to refute false doctrine? Are you going to be able to uh, uh, come against these things? So, one of the greatest factors here, when he says be ready, one of the greatest factors of spiritual readiness is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4.2 uh did I get it a second time? Three times. Okay, so the second time. Who had it the second time? Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Events, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Okay, so if readiness, if you are what's important, if readiness is the attitude that you want to preach, uh, produce, he says the word is what is going to determine. Uh, uh, readiness. And uh, so the Word of God is what makes you ready for, for ministry. So two, two important issues on this point before we moved on, move on. Number one is that if you want to be a man of God, you must be filled with the Word of God. Ezekiel 3.1 He said to me, Son of man, eat that which you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Interesting correlation here is he says to Ezekiel, for you to be able to minister, what should you do first? Eat the book. 
the scroll was, they didn't have neat pages, it was in rolls of parchment. He says, eat it and you'll be able to minister. So filling yourself with the Word of God is is uh, fundamental. This is this is number one. So so what happens to a man who is filled with the Word of God? Number one, there's personal ministry health. Very interesting is that one of my sad tasks is I have to deal with pastors that fail, pastors that sin is in actual the failure that I'm talking about. And so a very common theme in pastors that fall into sin, the obvious question is how did you get to that point, and a common theme is I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped praying. There's basic uh, uh, fundamental disciplines that I started neglecting in myself. And so that's, that's why you have to be filled with the Word of God, so that you are spiritually healthy. The other, the other issue is that in ministry decisions, these things flow out of uh, uh, the Word of God, if God is going to guide you in ministry, and uh, at any given time, my uh, my phone may ring, and it, and it may be a uh, heavy decision to uh, advice or guidance, the Word of God is where guidance comes from. John 14, 24. He who does not love me does not keep my word. No. John fourteen twenty four. Uh-huh. Wow. That would be two mistakes in one day. <laughs> Is that humanly possible? Uh, the scripture that I wanted was, but the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I've uh, said unto you, you, you know it had to be the computer, so I'll slap the computer when I get home. <laughs> 26, exactly what I was going to say. Okay, so it should have been 1426, two typos in one thing. So, the issue here is that he says guidance, the Holy Spirit can guide you, but, but notice here he says, guidance flows out of the words of Jesus Christ. So, there's a, a element, it's, it's kind of interesting, some of... Some of my pastor friends that, that we deal with large decisions together in leadership, we have a running joke, and that is that this wasn't in, I don't remember this being covered in my discipleship, is that there are, there is all these different situations that, uh, uh, that that get thrown your way, and our joke is we need to we need to talk to Pastor Mitchell. I don't remember him ever telling us this in our discipleship, and so the the reason why is you probably have to be discipled for about five hundred years before you <laughs> could ever get sent out if everything could be covered. So, but the interesting thing is the thing about guidance is that while it's not possible to cover every possible human decision, someone who is tied to the Word of God, they are guided. Wisdom comes. I got men that ask me for advice. Sometimes it's something that, you know, obviously they may ask me for advice because I have more experience and I may have gone through that and I can say this is what you should do. There are times when it's like I've never gone through that and I will give advice. And sometimes when I hang out, I think, where did that come from? I knew that that was right. You know, obviously it's based on sound wisdom and et cetera, et cetera. But there are times when it's like, 
that was something that God gave me of His wisdom. But that comes out of the Word of God. You've got to fill yourself with the Word of God. Then, of course, if you are going to preach the Word, then you have to search out the wisdom of the Word of God. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 2.15 in the Amplified Version. It says, Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing or rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So if you are going to be ready to preach, one of the things that will uh, be important is you need to search for wisdom. That's the amplified uh, version. Very, very famous scripture for, uh, for pastors in the King James it says, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I like that. Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing the word of truth. So, there's, there's something that if you want to be ready as a man of God, you not only should personally read, but you need to search for wisdom. There are a number of things. You need to know basic Bible doctrines. Some of you, you should, you should buy... Uh, a book we have uh, had available. If, if we don't have them, we'll get more in. But Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. So it covers basic Bible doctrines. And that's something that you need to understand. And over time, this is, this is a very thick book. This is not something you're going to read, a little light reading. for. <laughs> that's something that you should work through and have an understanding because... In pastoring, these are things that come up. You're going to, you have to know. You're going to have people that challenge you. Uh, I noticed last night in the in the uh, concert scene, uh, there were two girls, and when somebody dealt with them, there was on the row in front of me, and they said, "Oh, we're from Grand Canyon University. That's where we go." Which, which I don't, I don't know if you know, that's a Baptist university. And so we began to speak in tongues. These girls were like, whoa, they were checking this out. So I was thinking to myself, if I was pioneering a church and these girls came in, I know what conversation we'd be having very shortly. And I would have to know, why do we speak in tongues? And you have to know. And I want to tell you something. When you get into another city, because Pastor Mitchell said so, is not a good enough answer. They don't care. That's what we do in the fellowship. They don't care. They're going to challenge you. They're going to try to rip off your converts. So it helps you to know some basic Bible doctrines. Why do we do what we do? You need to know things that are false. And I don't, I don't make this a major uh, part, but there are certain elements. At some point, you are going to have people uh, uh, challenge you, uh, in your, when you when you pastor. Jesus only are going to make their way through your church. That's, you have to know something about um, uh, a few false doctrines that are common. And uh, again, I wouldn't make that your major uh, issue, but you need to know that. And then, of course, revelation, which is what most of us focus on, is finding revelation. So all of that is in the context here. He says, Timothy, be ready. Preach the Word. Be instant. That's the Word of God. Number two, readiness means you have to be ready in availability. Paul likens ministry 
to military readiness. You have to be ready and available at any time for an order for ministry. We have, uh, uh, you know, our military, how it's, I don't know if this is, would be true uh, exactly anymore, but the idea of the military is that at any time they give you an order. And depending from if you are on special forces, you're going to be there within two hours, no matter where you are. Two hours, you're going to be there, we're going. And everything's going to be packed and ready to go. Then you have, you're going to be there in 24 hours or whatever it might be. But this is the idea. When he says, I charge you, I'm giving you an order. This is not optional. And then he says, you have to be ready for ministry. Because not being ready is, if you are unavailable, keep mentioning if we call, you know, we call it the Navy SEALs. All right, we got to go. There's a, there's a, something we need you. And it's like, Dude, but I just started surfing. <laughs> I think I can make it in a week. What, what are you gonna do? You know, tell terrorists? Can you can you just hold off on the on the whole beheading thing? We just gotta, you know, we got a guy. When he gets back from vacation, we'll we'll, we'll tackle that. Second Timothy, two four. No one engaged in warfare entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. Okay, so. This readiness for ministry, this begins with an attitude of submission to God's will. Okay, in in uh, in First Samuel three ten, this is a profound. Uh, you know, the first First Samuel begins in the first um, uh, four chapters. I think it is is the contrast between Eli and his sons and Samuel. A transition, a man who cannot be used, and a young man who is going to be used, and that centers on, he's a young boy, and he gets the lesson, Samuel, Samuel, uh, did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Samuel, Samuel, and he says in 1 Samuel 3.10, speak for your servant is listening. This is an attitude in all of life. Anything you have to say. So when, when he says your servant is listening, this is not just, hey, I'll talk about this. Speak for whatever you say, the answer is already yes. That's actually what he's saying. Okay, it wasn't just like, you know, I'll see what you have to say and I'll talk, I'll think about it. No, no, no. Speak and the answer is already yes. That's a, that's a very, very important. So it's submission to God's will. So this has to be built into ministry. You have to decide in advance to be available. For anything, at uh, any any time, that's that's very very important. And some of the things in in ministry is that there are are times when uh, decisions have to be made that we don't. Hey, you know, we're thinking of uh, <coughs> next January, next July. We're we're thinking there are decisions have to be made, and so the only way that can be. Uh, the, the only way that can be workable sometimes is men who have already decided that I am submitted to God's will. If God wants me to do something, yes. The answer is yes. Right? If you have anything else to say, it's sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Those are the two things you can say. Right? So, now, and let me, let me throw something in here. This is something you have to bring your wife along with. Okay? This cannot be something... 
you're gung-ho for ministry and your wife is not certain about this. That's not a workable solution. Right? Hey, are you willing? Yes! And uh, what does your wife think about that? Oh, she doesn't want to do that. That's that's not going to work. So, one of the important things in ministry is is men who are foolish, they create in their wives the idea that ministry is competition to her. Right? That I have all this time for ministry, but then when they're with their wife, they don't talk to her. So then what she's going to do is she's going to hate the ministry, which is actually unfair. She should hate you, not the ministry, which she will wind up doing as well. But anyway, that's a, that's a, that's a, a fundamental issue. So you have to be able to, on the one hand, you have to communicate. So that would be if you're not married and you want to preach the gospel, that would be a question you want. That'd be a conversation you want to have before you decide the wedding date. You don't want to get married and go, oh, by the way, I want to preach the gospel. I want to go to be a missionary in some little village that doesn't have electricity. What do you think? <laughs> That's a conversation you want to have. Now, some of you are already married. Too late. So, uh, your job is then to create in your wife uh, that, that desire that you are a team. And one of the important things, there's a whole sermon in itself, and a series of sermons probably, and that is that you, what is deadly is a man who does not treat his wife well, but I'm gung-ho for ministry. Inevitably, she will resent the ministry. And that is unfair because ministry is not the problem. If it's not ministry, it'll be sports, cars, guns, it'll be something else. So, the important thing is you have to have your wife also in an attitude of, of uh, ministry. I have a basic philosophy of life and ministry, and that is, you don't say no. You don't say no to an opportunity. That's, that's, my, that's how I live. Now, you have to work that out. In other words, if my pastor feels that I need to do something, and he has heard from God, and I can trust him, then I don't say no. The answer is yes, and that's that's that we're gonna we're, we'll work it out. And uh, and I've had to do this. I have I have moved internationally in days at at, at a time. As I bump, all right, we'll we'll do it. We'll be ready. We'll be out of here next Thursday. That's fine. Whatever it takes. And that's just how I live. You don't say no because I live my life in submission to God's will. And that has to be worked out, of course. So, the entanglements. Why would people say no, apart from marriage? The entanglements most often are are financial. This is what's very unfortunate. And uh, um, kind of the inspiration for this lesson came out of it is, is uh, I had a, an, an emergency uh, uh, ministry opportunity I had a man that that uh, I file away in the computer of my brain uh, all kinds of snippets of who did well and who said what and there are things there and the reason why is that at crucial moments God will quicken me. He's like, hey, that guy, he did very well and that said he would be a good fit. That'd be a good opportunity. And so this has happened on numbers of occasions. Brother, I got an opportunity here. I have a need. And uh, would you be willing to do that? And the instant response was, 
I can't. We're in debt. He said, give me two years. Well, the problem is, I have to decide in two hours, not two years. That's, that's not workable. So, that opportunity is gone. So, think about that. God quickened me. Here's an opportunity. This could be a, this could be a powerful opportunity. Life-changing. I can't. And so, we have to move on down the line and, and, and do that. So, debt renders many men unable to respond to opportunities. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, <coughs> and the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay, so here's the... Uh, uh, this is a, a simple issue, and that is, if you are in debt, somebody else rules your life. Pastor, I can't do that because I have to make this amount of money to pay my debts. So, that's not workable. If you want, when he writes to a young pastor and says, be ready, one of the simple ways you can be ready is financially. I'm free. The reason why I have been able to uh, a need be presented and me be able to move and be gone and be there by the following week is because my wife and I have always lived debt-free. Always. We do not spend more than we make. We do not use credit cards to make up the gap. And that is how we have always lived, so therefore we have always been free. So debt. Then, of course, you have lifestyle appetites. And that's something that you and your wife uh, have to work out. Again, if you're not married, uh, marrying the pampered princess is probably not the wisest ministry uh, uh, you know, situation. <laughs> Lisa and I have lived in, in some places that really sucked. We, when we pioneered, we lived in a... Yeah, thank God we were so young, we were so dumb. But we, we lived in, a, uh, in an apartment. It was above a, um, a continental deli. You know, that's an Italian delicatessen. We lived on top of the delicatessen. And there was one bedroom that was boarded off. And the reason why was somebody had committed suicide in there. Thank God I was too stupid to know the difference. So we we, <laughs> we lived in this place. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, you know, but but the but the whole point was is that my wife has been very flexible. So we didn't have to, you know, we have to have a certain standard and, you know, God forbid that there should be a cockroach anywhere in the world. That would be that would be un, unlivable. <laughs> and then of course then the third issue and we've done whole lessons on this is is uh, houses. This is one of the Major issues of, of men, I want to preach the gospel, but I'm thinking of buying a house. Very simple is the issue of buying a house. Buying a house is not uh, evil. It is not bad as long as, if you want to preach the gospel, this is, this is how it works. If, if God called me to go somewhere next week, the gap between my house is not fully paid for, the gap between my payment and what I could rent the house for is probably $450 uh, uh, a month. So, I have a cushion. So that means if I had to leave and rent the house out, that means if, you know, uh, the stove died or something else, I am accruing money every month so that I could pay that. Or if I had a month where it wasn't rented, it wouldn't, it wouldn't put me under. So, that's, that's the point. You want to buy a house? 
Buying a house is a good option if you can have a gap. If your payment is, you know, pick a figure, $1,000 a month and you can only rent your house for $1,000 a month, you're in trouble unless you're independently wealthy. Right? It's very it's simple mathematics. Okay, so being ready. Ready and availability. And again, that, that comes down to sometimes the um, the decisions that I have to make are instant. I need, oh, sorry, I can't because i got to wait and it has to be the perfect renter and, you know, on and on and on. That's going to be, it's not workable sometimes. Third issue is ready to minister. So readiness. Be ready. Be instant. In season, out of season. So, Second Timothy is written to Timothy, who is in a very difficult circumstance due to persecution. So, in other words, he's writing to Timothy, ministry is not enjoyable or convenient at this time. There are times when ministry is an absolute joy. I wake up with a smile on my face. This, it's, this is fantastic. It's unbelievable I get paid to do this. I mean... I would do it for free. It's it's so enjoyable to me. There are other days. It's like um, this is not this is not enjoyable at all, and and, uh, and that's the way it is. Second Timothy four two. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with long, all long suffering and teaching. Okay, in the King James. Be instant, here, be ready, in season and out of season. And most uh, commentators will say, when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Whether you feel like it or, or not, you are going to function. That's the way it is. I, I get calls from discouraged pastors. They're, they're under the gun. They're going through it. Sometimes I can encourage them. Sometimes I can pray for them. Uh, but there are times you, you see, um, when I had my birthday, you see a quote there. Um, and one of those quotes was, I didn't send you there because it would be easy. I sent you there because there's a job to be done. And that was, that was a slap upside the head comment. That was someone who was calling and it's hard and I want to quit. And I didn't say those words sweetly. I said, that's right. I didn't send you there because it's easy. I sent you there because there's a job to be done and you're going to do it. You don't want to? Resign, come home, I'll put somebody else in there. Simple as that. Okay, that's what this is talking about, is, is that sometimes you are going to function. You're going to function when you don't feel like it. You're, you're going to function when, when people are saying bad things about you. So what? You're going to suck it up. You're going to stand up. You're going to preach the gospel. That's the way it is. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to minister when your heart is breaking. I had to throw my daughter out of the church. And when I did that, I had to come service after service and smile. People are coming and telling me about your problems. I'm going to, hey, listen, you got problems, I got problems, okay? <laughs> I don't feel like being here tonight, all right? I'm not very happy about this. That's life. But I didn't. I didn't pout. I preach the gospel. I minister to people. You know, whatever you're going through in life, you're 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 fighting with your wife. So what? You're going to go and you're you work it out. You can fight when you get home, but tonight you're going to go and you're going to function by golly. That's all there is to it. Okay? Not that Lisa and I would ever fight or have ever fought. <laughs> That's just a, theoretically, you know. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so this is uh, so that's that's the idea. So the focus there, this is why he gives in the second part. It's amazing when you think about it. The Bible is a very logical book. Preach the word. The word of God is the key. Be ready. And then he says, why? Because the focus is other people. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So Timothy's going through a hard time and he's reminding him, Timothy, ministry actually isn't about you. It's valid. There are times I'm, I'm hurting, you know, I have... I had to encourage, you know, pastor, pastor's wife on the phone yesterday. You know, that, that, that's fine. Here's some encouragement. I'll pray for you. But in actual fact, ministry is not about you. It's not about you. So if, if I only ministered when I feel like it, when I'm feeling perky, gosh, that's really what I want to do tonight. Okay, then that's, you're not going to minister much. And that's, that's the problem that, the problem with disciples is that they have grown up on their feelings. I don't like this person. So what? You don't really feel it. So what? Are you going to suck it up and be a man? Are you going to be a girly man for the rest of your life? Okay? I, don't, I need men. He's writing Timothy. and so, so, now, let's put this in perspective. People in Timothy's church were being boiled alive. Right, so this is not just you. You know, someone said something bad about you. They were covering pastors in pitch and lighting them on fire. They're feeding them to lions. They're skinning them alive. Right. So, so we're talking. This is like. So Tim's like, I don't really feel like doing this anymore. And he had real reason to say that, right? <laughs> Paul writes and he says, you're going to be ready. You're going to be ready. That's what it means to be a man of God. So that is what builds the work of God. You do that and needs are met. Because I'll tell you something. I've, I've ministered when I don't feel like it. But other people were helped and needs are met. My feelings will come and go. Later on, you know, Emily was put out of the church, but then she got saved. Okay, went through a, a, a period when she was backslidden. My heart was broken, but I ministered, and then she got saved. Things change. So I didn't put ministry on hold, or whatever else is going on in life. That that is, you uh, you have disciples fulfill their potential. Is there been there have been times when good disciples have been made when I didn't personally feel fantastic, and that's that's the point. You convince, rebuke, exhort. All long sufferings, and, and that's, that's patience. You're going through stuff, so what? So here's the attitude of ministry. And that's what makes you a spiritual miniman. Okay, let's open for questions, something you want to ask about this, about readiness. To convicting, you just rather repent right now. <laughs> Covered some ground. See? No. Any of you feeling looky? <laughs> <laughs> 
go? <laughs> when can you go? <laughs> a wife is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about like uh, bankruptcy? Like, say, for instance, like you know, I know for me, like I got a lot of debt. So, um, but like, obviously, I'd have to file for bankruptcy. Yeah, that's not, you know, that's something probably you'd have to, um, you'd have to talk about it. The, the issue becomes of, of, uh, whether bankruptcy is a, is a lifestyle choice. So, number one, any, any decision of, you know, debt consolidation, bankruptcy, anything like that, those only will help you if you're going to change yeah. your lifestyle. So they, it doesn't help you to uh, anybody who's going to make a radical decision to take care of debt if they're not going to take care of the, the attitudes that got them into debt in the first place. That's number one. <coughs> and so with that, bankruptcy is an extreme. The, the law does allow for uh, in extreme circumstances when there are, are no options. So that's something we have to discuss because you, you uh, in the different factors, because there are uh, people I've seen that God has done extreme miracles for. Uh, anybody who says, I want to get out of debt, that is a decision that is very pleasing to God. That makes God very happy. God does not like debt. And, and the reason why is because it, it makes you fight it takes away your focus from God. It keeps you from doing the will of God. And so anybody who says, I want to get out of debt, what I see is usually they make the decision to get out of debt, they start paying, and then the miracles start happening. God does miracles and, and he steps in. Because the bottom line, you can write it down. Pastor Greg said, debt sucks. It's horrible. <laughs> and so that would be probably an individual you need to discuss it, God. Um, we uh, actually listened to the series, The Freedom from Debt. Uh-huh. And um, we didn't have like a we didn't have this major, major amount of debt, but I owned a house and everything. And when it was time to go, I, it was almost Friday night when we were going to get sent out. And I basically told God, if I can't sell my house and get rid of this, um, we can't do it. So um, we were nervous, but we had been listening to Pastor Dick's Freedom from Debt thing. So when I got back Sunday, a guy walked up to me and said, how much you want to sell your house for? And I told him, we went to Applebee's and I sold my house over the table. And it, like, just what Pastor Gray said, miracles started happening and we were debt free by the time we left. But, so I think my fear was like, I can't do this. I can't deliver myself. I am a servant to the borrower. Of, you know, Linda, anyway, yeah. Um, and God really did a miracle. Yeah. So if you buy, so you're talking about having a house and being able to rent it out. If you have that cushion, that wouldn't be necessarily something that holds you down. What if you have like a huge car payment? Because like yeah. it would be the same type of thing. Absolutely. You have to make sure it's reasonable or something like that. Or two yeah. cars or something like that. Yeah, sure. So that's, bottom line is, again, debt sucks. So there are, are situations where people... Uh, get into it, but the but the whole issue is that you uh, you know use use simple math when you number one anytime we send somebody into 
pioneering in ministry, we're, we're not going to pay them. They're not going to get wealthy doing that. It's enough to get by. So, if you have uh, if you have $200 a month car payment, uh, there are people that get $400 a month car payment, which is like, I can't even grasp that. But So that means you have to, over and above, your rent, your food, you know, whatever your kids need, uh, they just everything else, electricity, you got to have another two to four hundred dollars. That's that's uh, so you're already in the hole. So you've just made life harder. <coughs> so debt sucks. That's the eleventh commandment. <laughs> <coughs> it never it never helps you. What are some strategies to uh, help impart vision into either your wife, you know, your wife or your children or your family? Some strategies. Well, uh, I, I think I think number it begins with a recognition. The problem is not wife versus ministry. That's that's often there are disciples that they they approach ministry and their wife as though these two are in competition. Woman, you're holding me back. If you ever communicate that or if you ever think that, it'll it'll come across and that will kill you dead. That'll that'll hurt you. So it's not versus and so um a woman needs to feel that she is important to you. And that's that's what you communicate. You communicate that by, you know, Time, attention, affection, you know, all kinds of different things. So if you're communicating that that she is not important, then obviously you um, ministry then is going to be a threat to her. Right? And so so I think fundamentally is you have to look at your you have to look at your marriage. You have to look at some of the things that you that your wife Currently, say you've heard me. I've I've said in marriage sermons. To me, you know, there's a whole range of jokes about this. About you never know what a woman's thinking. To me, that's the stupidest thing. Whatever's in a woman's mind will come out of her mouth. It will come out. I mean, there's there's no way that it won't. So if you if you uh, if you just listen, probably the thing that she's told you a thousand times that's probably what she wants. And so um, you know. You never pay attention to me. Then that's you gotta you gotta you gotta do the uh, marriage detective thing and find out. Okay, where where is the problem here? And you gotta that's that's why the Bible says dwell with your wife according to knowledge, right? So knowing your wife, knowing what she needs, um, you know, picking up the signals. Because one of the things is that, you know, guys, one of the problems in discipleship and ministry is that guys want to break it down like percentages. If you will give, you know, X percentage of time to your wife, X percentage to ministry, X percentage to a job, you know. But that's that's not true, is that overall, once you establish in your wife that she is valued, what you discover is just like... You you have different needs on different days. There are times when she needs more attention. There are times when she needs less. <coughs> so you got to pick up the signals. If you ever wake up at night and she's standing over you with a knife, that's a bad sign. <laughs> you think, hmm. Right? So 
you uh, you picked it up. So it, it begins by examining what is your uh, attitude and uh, and what is her reaction. What has she been communicating? So, but uh, one of, you know one of the things is that uh, in ministry, if you if you do things together in ministry, obviously that is a much better solution to I do ministry and you're not involved. In other words, Lisa and I, obviously we play in a band together. That was one thing that that, uh, was minor. But we went on outreach together. That wasn't something that I did and left her. We always did everything together. We outreached together. We did follow-up or involved with people together. That was something that we always worked that out in uh, so so we were a team that was that was always the idea it, was, it wasn't a matter of competition it's ministry so you don't get any time you don't get any attention so those are probably some things you need to revisit in in ministry Did you uh, handle the finances of the, of the church or, I mean I've heard like guys say sometimes the wives they can balance Yeah, that's you know there there can be a lot of factors in that, but but take a step backwards is first of all who handles the finances, you know in every in every marriage, uh, who handles the finances is a decision. Some of you that you got married, if I counseled you, Pastor Bishop, I counsel you, then we probably asked you that question: Who's going to handle the finances? You need to decide that because some people are, uh, you know, one person is better at it than another. Some people make that a manhood issue. By golly, I will run the finances. Um, if you think two and two makes five, probably you should not handle the finances. You know, there are women that are just better at it. But on the other hand, then there are guys that that go out and they, you know, uh, you know, they got five kids under five and uh, have, you know, and want her now to, you know, she's going to homeschool and do the church books and. She's the one that has the knife above his head, so then it doesn't make sense. So you just gotta you gotta work that out. If your wife handled the finances, you obviously need to be aware. Handling the finances is more a recording issue, isn't it? If you record what comes in and what goes out, it's a simple reporting. These days, I actually have Bill Bronson working right now to kind of develop. Um, in one of these Quicken or one of those uh, simple little church accounting software, because handling money is very easy on a computer. As far as that's just a recording issue, record it in, you know, hit a button, the computer spits it out. Um, you know, I'm old enough; used to be an abacus. You know, <laughs> so you don't even know what an abacus is. It was Chinese. There were beads. They represented numbers. Okay. <laughs> Uh, go ahead. I also have a question. Is it better? Like, I'm not married yet, but you have kids before you descend out, or, or after? Or, I mean, maybe to make it a character out of you, or, you know, for me to, <laughs> <laughs> to make a character out of you? <laughs> 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 to 
Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of factors in there. So, you know, the, the, the simple factor would be whether you're able to, right? So Lisa and I didn't have any kids. We weren't able to before we went out. So that, that settled that, right? So that didn't keep us from ministering. So uh, you'll discover kids will happen when they happen. And uh, there's very few people that have planned and every child has worked out exactly according <coughs> to schedule. You have the surprise children. You have uh, the children that you know didn't come for a long time. And you know, there's a lot of different factors. So, you know, it, it may be helpful. So, yeah. <laughs> It'll make a character out of you. <laughs> Daffy Duck. <or laughs> <laughs> That's good. Very good. Pastor, so obviously I can't have Ashley at the men's house all the time, you know what I mean? But, I mean, the balance, how do you find the balance in, I mean, sometimes it's just crisis and things like that. And it's like, I mean, finding the balance of of that, balancing ministry and being at home, you know what I mean? I, I, it's, I mean, it's coming, now it's kind of developing, you know what I mean? Now that Adam and David and I have established, you know what I mean, certain things, but I mean, when you're out there, I mean, you're... Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there are... there are uh, Number one, and that is a perspective issue, isn't it? So there are factors that may be at work that uh, recognizing that they are temporary. So people want to, you know, they want to divorce over something that's only temporary. Why do you... You know, that, that, that there are things that will get better. Simply, uh, you know, you're stressed because you're moving. Well, you'll eventually get the house set up as you won't be like that. Things like this. So that is something that ministry comes in cycles. So uh, there are times where everything is <clears throat> basically in place and, and it's normal business. And then there are times where, um, you know, the phone rings and <laughs> and uh, I know this is going to be bad. <laughs> it's not going to be good. Just it, it's a pile on of, of whatever that, that will pass. So you got to recognize the rhythms and you have to, you know, you got to communicate uh, to your wife things that are temporary. Give her the understanding. This is temporary. This will sort out. Main thing is that you 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 make it. Uh, again, I cannot, this is not a matter of, one of the things that you're, what you just said is, how do you find the balance? Well, you you find the balance by finding the balance. It just has to be done. Because the balance for your wife may not be the same for my wife, right? That's that's number one. So, you, you have to find your own balance. But the key, what, what kills you dead in ministry is... You give everything to the ministry, and then when you are with your wife, because I'm tired or I'm stressed, then you don't give her focus. This is a common fight of people in ministry. Is if somebody else calls, you you, you you do anything for them, but then when you come home, you want to zone out, right? And that's a common fight of ministry. So then, that it, it's not that you don't see your wife; it's that when you see her, you're not really there. So then. That is the wife that will want to kill you over time. So you got to work. You got to work that out. So when you're with her, that you're giving her attention. And then there are things that that you learn in in life. You know, there are crises 
um, that may or may not be a genuine crisis. There is something that is just important to that person, but it's not a real crisis. And so, uh, no, I have said, I'm going to spend time with my wife. I'm sorry, I can't. Your crisis will just have to wait until I'm finished. And that's valid, right? If you're standing on the edge of a cliff, just wait until I'm done with dinner, you know. It's a joke. <laughs> Joking. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Would a lot of that then just be going back to knowing your wife, knowing what makes her tick, and what, and what ticks her off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So that 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 is, and that'll be true for for every woman. You got to find out. That's why if you're smart. That's the remember we we talked about people skills. People skills work on every level. A guy who has no people skills with people on the job or people in ministry, he doesn't have people skills with his wife either. People skills are sensitivity. That's that's what really it's called social awareness. That's a major part of people skills. If I if uh, you know so here here's a little prediction if i go up to a woman in church this morning and say to her man you've really put on weight <laughs> i predict that will not go well right so one of the pr- the problems is that you 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 develop an aware this this is not good is it right that reaction you know, the simple rule of life is never ask a woman if she's pregnant. Never, 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 never. You wait until she says it. I can tell you from personal experience, that goes bad. So, so you, you, you learn awareness. So the, the guy who, uh, uh, there, are, there are guys that the wife is absolutely at the, she's either at the point of murder or suicide, and the husband has no clue that there is a problem. But that's true in all of life. He's also the guy who bulldozes his way through ministry and on the job as a trail of people who hate his guts. Because he doesn't get it. He says things. He's not aware. So he has never taken the time. A successful man is a student of human nature. And, that's a, and, that, and that starts with your wife. Right? Again, so when my wife gets upset at me, what is it usually that she gets upset about? Right? So, and that would be true for, uh, you know, I know a little warning statement when my wife says, you're not listening, are you? This is, huh? this is trouble. <laughs> There's trouble coming if I keep this up. You're not listening, are you? So she's not happy that I'm letting the, you know, whether this is just thinking about uh, the problem of life. So my wife wants, when I'm communicating with her, that I'm focusing on her. You're not listening, are you? That's not a good sign. So that may be different for every every woman. So you, you can I can either stop that and start focusing, or I can continue and be duct taped to the bed. <laughs> uh, somebody else. Okay. That's all. So you correct the two. You can correct my mistakes on here.
top of the page should be 2 Timothy 4.2. The other scripture, John 14.26, is the right one. <coughs> 